Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your black and white audio antidote to the aggressively awful adventure of following frustratingly feckless Fulham right now. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening and joining me is a welcome voice of reason, even in the darkest FSC moments. It's the professor himself, Ben Jarman. That intro was the most impressive thing I've heard in a podcast debatably ever. Thank you, mate. To get that much alliteration in such a short space of time, using only A's and F words is amazing. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Rating that. Well, it, it's been a bleak week from a Fulham perspective, and recently that spilled over onto social media with, with Tony Khan in particular taking a lot of fire for a hopeless performance on the pitch. I don't really want to go into a deep dive on that Oldham game because I, and I'm sure you are, hurting just as much as everyone else is right now. So I think we'll take a little bit of time to take stock of the situation in the light of that FA Cup exit rather than giving a a play-by-play as we do sometimes. Um, Before we start, just a reminder that Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrook, so if you're still positive enough to stick money on us staying up in the Premier League, why not back it at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Ben, I want to start this pod off by talking a little bit about a player that we both were very, very excited about at the start of this season, Luciano Vieto. His La Liga credentials and early form suggested we'd found ourselves a real gem, but on Saturday he hit sort of bottom of a spiralling pile, one of the most ineffective performances I've seen in a white shirt for for a long time. What's happened? You really have to sit there and think, has Vieto's stock that was on the dip anyway, has it completely bottomed out at rock bottom now. He has become an ineffectual player, regardless of the situation we seem to be putting himself in. And he no longer seems to be, for myself and for a couple of others on on the team, a viable option that we need to have out wide. Um, Under Slavisa, you kind of saw him working a little bit more because he could drift inside and he could link play. With Ranieri, we always seem to be slightly on the back foot. And when you have that style of play, you need to have attacking players that want to expose space, get into space and really try and make things happen. It just seems that Vieto's confidence is so shot that he can do none of that. It really is quite disappointing considering we know the player that he was at Villarreal. Yeah, of course. I think in the second half against Huddersfield, he did show glimpses of getting the ball down, driving inside. But against Oldham, he just was invisible for, for large swathes of the game and look Fulham weren't good to a man but he seemed to be the, the bottom of the lot at that point yeah he was he was dreadfully ineffectual throughout the whole game and I think that it's a wider point to, for all the fringe players that we had out there on that game against Oldham that none of them impressed and as we said in our round table as you guys can read on, on Fulhamish.co.uk all of us lamented every single one of those fringe players that came in and didn't do a job against Oldham. There was a reason they've been left out by Slav and then obviously in this tenure under Claudio, they, they just have not been good enough and it just really says what we all think but haven't wanted to say. We haven't got the quality in depth. I think one of the most important, I suppose, things that came out of the game was Ranieri afterwards coming out and saying, look, this is why these players haven't been playing. But... There was a lot of first-team quality in that squad. And, you know, when you look at the the lineup, we were all expecting, I think, a little bit more of a youthful, a little mm-hmm. bit more of a, you know, a, a lineup that didn't quite 
match what, what actually came out and we were looking to see maybe De La Torre and, and O'Reilly and all those players to, yep. to kind of feature even Steph Joe and, and K-Mac and it wasn't any of those mm-hmm. it was you know especially in the midfield a lot of first teamers how much is that going to hurt not being able to beat someone like Oldham this is a midfield that featured Tom Kearney who has been our best player for arguably the past 24 months and Jean-Michel Serry who was our record by I, I believe other, other than probably Anguissa this has got to be a huge body blow for every single one of those players that are out there to lose to a League Two outfit that two weeks ago lost 6-0 to Carlisle and doesn't currently have a permanent manager. You, you really have to sit there and think, if these guys are going to survive in the Premier League, they have to step it up hugely to be in with any sort of shout because that wasn't good enough. Where does it leave us in terms of transfers? I mean, I suppose it's better that it's happened early and that Ranieri can take stock of this squad and be like, look this is where I need depth because yeah. you've just seen what happens when I play the fringe players. What do we need, I mean, apart from absolutely everything? Well, I, I could name a whole starting eleven of players that we probably needed, but it's become strikingly obvious that we just haven't got the quality up top and in, cre- in crucial areas in, in the heart of defence. You know, We've been saying this for almost six months now, um, that we don't have the capability at centre-half regardless of whether Maxime Lamarchand comes in or not. I don't believe there's enough quality at, at centre-half. We have probably the best striker outside the top six, probably excluding Callum Wilson. Yeah. And we can't get any quality around him. He is firing, but it's all off his own back. The likes of Vieto, the likes of Scherler, Floyd, Cabano, Ryan Sess to an extent, have all not lived up to the hype that they had coming into this season. And... It really is disappointing to see. And if you're Ranieri, you almost discard those players that were on the fringes to the bin. You know, the likes of Cabano, I didn't think he had a particularly good game. Um, I think he'll probably go somewhere now, to be honest. Maybe back to Belgium. Yeah, it, it does sort of bode badly. There's obviously talk of this triple swoop for the three Chelsea players. Yep. Cahill seems a no-brainer. Moses seems to fit if we're looking for... Playing back. with five at the back and playing wing backs to, to give Christie some support. And I don't know about Danny Drinkwater. I, I'm not convinced that that's the option. You see Drinkwater fit in so well in a two-man midfield with Leicester. And I think that's probably how we'll play. I think we'll continue to play that 5-2-3 formation. Well, 5-2-2-1, two, two, if you want to call it that. And he'll work quite nicely in a two-man midfield, I think. because he likes With to who? I think it'll probably be Viseri, if anyone. Because he is. Where does that leave Callum Chambers? Chambers might slot back in at centre half. Or or it could be the the end of Seri completely, unless they move Seri on to a more forward facing role. Which I wouldn't be adverse to, because I quite like him in that advanced role he played under Slav earlier in the season. Yeah. But I just feel like we really are lacking quality in key areas. And we talked about this very briefly before we came on. We are slow, we are languid, we cannot keep up with any sort of team. And if you look back to Crystal Palace on that very first day, they had Van Aanholt, they had Schlupp, they had Townsend, they had Zaha, all of whom are lightning quick and can change the game in a blink of the eye. And they did that on the first goal with Van Aanholt and they've done it again on the second. And ever since that period in time, we haven't been able to keep up with our opposition, in my opinion. In terms of the stock of Fulham fans and, and the kind of state of play across social media it's taken a turn for for the worst this week in a number of ways and 
you know, obviously not great timing from the Khans to announce that they were going into another venture at the same time. But also, I imagine that's been planned for months rather than, yeah. you know, deciding to do it this week. A lot of vitriol towards Tony Khan in particular, justified or are we seeing the worst of Fulham fans in that? I think we're seeing some justified, some the worst of what a football fan can be. I think football fans in general always do this. When they have their team has a turn for the worst, they will always lay into the character that they believe is at the forefront of all of this. And I think it's a little too naive to be giving Tony Khan the smackdown for a wrestling pun. Nice reference. Um, I think it's a little bit too early to be giving him the smackdown. I think Tony's been naive and I think Fulham have been naive in their buying over, over summer. Um, I really don't think we bought very well and there were transfers in there that you look back on now and you think, that's a shocker and I don't know where it's come from. Um, they look to be ill-placed, scattergunned approach that the Fulham that we knew over the previous 18 months with their calm, measured and well-placed transfers didn't, it didn't really correlate. But also, I feel like had Claudio Ranieri been in the job longer than two months... Ranieri would be under some serious pressure. Firstly, the football is absolutely diabolically boring. I've never been more bored at a football match, I don't think, than when I've been watching Fulham versus West Ham. It was literally painful. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that the drubbings against the bigger teams haven't haven't stopped. Uh, the the defence has only been plugged because we put an extra man in there and even Slavisa managed to work that out to some sort of extent. And I do feel that in my gut, that Slavisa would have got exactly the same points as as Ranieri would have. I know you feel differently. Yeah, I do. I, I think that that's naive. We didn't show any signs of improvement, I thought, under Slav. Yes, there was a Liverpool game where things were, did take a slight turn for the better. But ultimately, having discussed that with people, you think about it and there was no pressure going into that game whatsoever because they'd, they'd hit rock bottom by losing away to Huddersfield the week before, which... To my, you know, in my kind of last five years, I can't remember a worse performance than Fulham at Huddersfield. We were insipid. We were, we lacked any sort of desire. It was just hopeless from start to finish. And the, the, there's two things about Slav that I, I, you know, mentioned at the time, but I do fully stand by. One is that he didn't sign a new contract. And so yeah. all these people saying, oh, I'd have rather gone down with Slav, are forgetting the fact that Slav could have walked away at the end of this season and had and nothing gone, yeah. to do with us had we gone down. And we'd be stuck in an even deeper rut than we, we are now, especially if we you know, bought in January under a Slav system. At least at this point, we're trying to expand systems. You know, and yes, I'm completely with you. The football has been diabolical at points. And, and I'm completely in favour, as you know, of a ball playing possession style. I loved watching Fulham under Slavisa. But I think it's mad naive to suggest that if we had him now, we would be going back to the championship to rebuild under Slavisa because I think he would have walked away. No, I agree with that. I do think he would have walked away as well. And I think that if we get to the point where we are back in the championship, that Ranieri will do the same thing. And you agree with me on this. I know you do. We Ranieri won't stay with us in the championship. And if he does elect to stay, why would, why would we keep why him? Why would we? Yeah. I agree. This is this is panic stations, Fulham, right? So let's get this straight. Fulham have Ranieri here for one reason and one reason alone, to stay up. Yeah. If we go down, there is no point playing this kind of football in the championship because one, it won't work. Mm. And two, it, it's not fun and no one's going to enjoy it. There's such a thin line here. 
if we stay up, it's a good appointment and he should stay and help with the rebuild model in terms of developing Fulham into a, a solid, hard-to-beat team that, that wins games at home. If we don't, we should completely reset the model again. Yep. But the other thing that is really strange and everyone seems to have forgotten is that against Huddersfield, Fulham played long ball for 90 minutes under Slavisa in a classic Slavisa 4-3-3. And if we're going to play long ball anyway, I'd much rather have long ball under a manager who has played long ball and knows how to play it than under one who refused to accept it as a footballing style and then seemed to do it anyway because yeah. that's not a sensible manoeuvre yeah my feel, my thoughts on Ranieri are slightly this is Catanacho without the defending expertise because that that's what it that's what it's about Ranieri is a typical manager of that style but he hasn't brought any of that to Fulham I've not I, I didn't expect Ranieri to to um, produce magic, and you know this because when we well, on the day Slavisa got sacked and Ranieri got hired, we'd done a podcast in this very room, and I said, "I'm not convinced by this signing." He for every boom job he has, he has three bus jobs, and I feel like this could be another bus job. I don't feel like he's brought anything additional to Fulham, as I said in my roundtable notes, other than perhaps some organisation to us. I think, he's, he, if anything, he's drawn. He's drawn things out of them that were previously there. Yes, I, I agree with you. I think one of the things that I said in, in that roundtable discussion is that I think Ranieri has basically, apart from the Oldham game and apart from West Ham at home, has basically done what I expected of him. Mm. Yeah, he's, what is required. He's won the games that I expected him to win. He's drawn the games that I expected him to draw and he's lost the games I expected him to lose. You know, I expected draws at home against Wolves and Leicester. I expected a point away at Newcastle under Ranieri mm. and I expected wins against against Huddersfield and Southampton. And that's exactly what he's delivered. I think now if we look to this Burnley game, if Ranieri gets a result at Burnley this weekend, mm. and yes, it looks unlikely after last weekend, but also the Cup and the League are very different animals and you hope that Fulham have the character in them to react to such a defeat, to such a blatant you know, upset of fans to see the kind of reaction on social media and go, right, well, this is it. We need to turn our season around starting now. And if Fulham win that game at Burnley, I do believe there is light at the end of this tunnel. I, I, and I, I think that we're good. We're in a good position to exploit that should we win this game. However, if we lose it, it could be curtains. No, I think it, it could be curtains for, for us and it could well be curtains for Claudio. If if we look at it very cynically, I I. I almost feel like if we get this win over Burnley, it's one of those flashpoints in the season where Sunderland used to have them. For example, when Poirier they, was in charge, when Poirier was in charge yeah. and they were absolutely done for. They had the Tynanwear derby against Man, uh, against Newcastle United, and Jermaine Defoe hit that unbelievable goal. And from there, Sunderland just escalated and they they stayed up. This could be our Tynanwear derby moment. Is there something in the fact that, and I want to go back to the fact that you were saying earlier about us being languid, about us being slow, and and it hurts me to say this because, you know, I, I like you love possession and, and, and mm. that kind of dominance of the ball in Fulham sides, but if we're going to play under the Ranieri model, do we need to just completely shake this up? Stop playing players like Kearney who, who slow the ball down and, and look for possession, and, and I don't, again, I don't take any joy or pleasure in saying this, but, and play quick, Fast players who who kind of look to break at speed, who 
players who play the ball over the top for two quick wingers <laughs> who look to get the ball into Mitrovic yeah. and and basically go for that as as our kind of salvation strategy, that counter-attacking style that served Leicester so well. Yeah, well, I think that this could be the one of the reasons why we're probably going to look towards Danny Drinkwater because that's exactly the kind of player he is. He's going to be able to play it fast and and wide into into key areas and look to get the ball into Mitrovic. But I, as, as much as it pains me to say, and you know how, hard, how highly I feel about possession football, I do feel like we need to take away... That that reliance on having the ball too much because through the transitions we are so slow and I always remember Jose Mourinho in his cheerful younger self saying that if you play through the transitions and you're effective through the transitions you will be a very good team and Fulham are slow through the through the transitions we're deliberately slow in in passing the ball on we take too much time to deliberate our decisions and. Therefore, it gives the opposition too much time to come back and defend against us in banks of four, and therefore it becomes almost impossible to take like to score a goal. So we've got two interviews for you now. Before Ben and I come back to look at that Burnley game in a little bit more detail, but first of all, Sammy spoke to Nat Bromley from the No Nay Never podcast of Burnley about how their season was going and how they're looking forward to facing Fulham this weekend. Yes, time for another preview here on Fulhamish and well, probably Fulham's biggest game of the season. We travel up to Turf Moor trying to get our first win at Burnley since 1951. Yes, you heard me correctly, 1951. Burnley versus Fulham. It's a relegation six-pointer. Luckily though, to get a bit of a Burnley perspective on things, I've got Nat Bromley from No Nay Never. Nat, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. So I was thinking earlier today, the last time you and I spoke, Fulham, we were three games into the season and we were still so buoyant about all the signings we made. Obviously, uh, it was a brilliant game for Fulham, the one down at Craven Cottage. You guys were still in Europe at that point. Who knew that just six months later... It would come to this, a relegation six-pointer. Europe is a distant dream for you guys, and we are 19th from the table and have had a rotten season. Um, how big a game in your season is this for Burnley? Oh, it's massive, and I just feel sick at the prospect of it. Um, to be fair, it's been a couple of seasons since we had a game of this magnitude, really, um, just because we've had a couple of seasons where everything exceeded expectations. So it's it's an unusual position that Sean Dyche finds himself in where he's battling something and he's under pressure, and his, his, as Sean Dyche side is having to dig deep and get themselves out of a bit of a hole that they've created for themselves. Um, I know you and I were just talking about this just before, uh, we started recording in that I think on balance the worst scenario is you guys losing than us I think if we lose it's not a disaster but it does put us back in a tough position whereas obviously if you guys lose it's it's just you know it, it's compounding a, a like you say a, a difficult season for you anyway I mean I was having a look at your fixtures and they've been kind in the last couple you've picked up a couple of really important wins in the league your fixtures are also fairly kind throughout the whole of January bar a trip to a rejuvenated Man United however mm. I was looking at your running wow oh those final God. four <laughs> games if, if you're in any trouble going into those you must be worried about those I think it's I'm Arsenal terrified. and Everton and yeah. uh, maybe even City in there We've got, I think in the last four games, we play Arsenal, 
City, Spurs and Liverpool are our last four games, which is just beyond ridiculous. You you guys will get used to this, but you, hopefully you do stay up this season. When you're in the Premier League and you're not in the top six, you know, people look at the fixtures when the Premier League fixtures come out and they look at, oh, who have we got at home? Where's Boxing Day? I go straight to the last eight, eight games of the season um, just because that can really dictate how our team season goes. And I saw ours this season and just was, this is horrible. <laughs> Um, essentially for us, our season finishes four games earlier than everybody else's. So we need to be comfortable by the end of March, mid-April, at the very, very latest. Because if, we, if we're needing to go into those last four games, um, especially if things like Champions League and top, well, top four and top six haven't yet been fully decided, we're in a whole world of pain. Indeed. And what has been the reason for the unravelling of this Burnley team? Finished seventh last season, got into Europe, just seems so, so solid at the back. I mean, you haven't quite conceded as many goals as Fulham, but you're not far behind. I think the 5-1 defeat to Everton really seemed to be the nadir of your season. And so many people from outside of Burnley just trying to work out what on, what on earth's happened? Why is this Sean Dyche team no longer looking organised like it just has done for years and years? Yeah, I think I think there's two key points to this. Um, in terms of general tactics of the team, if you look at last season, we actually started to get figured out around February last year. And we really didn't have a particularly strong end to the season. I think we had a short spell where we won some back-to-back games. But all of our points, and, and essentially Europe was won last season, in up to Christmas, we got into fourth position around the Christmas time. And, and then um, we just sort of consolidated that top seven um, position for the rest of the season. But actually things started to unravel for Sean Dyche and his Premier League tactics around February time last season. Um, So I think the the main thing that we look at here is Dyche set a team up last season to be tricky to play against, to defend very well, to be hard to beat and try and nick goals is exactly what we did. By sort of three quarters of the way through the season, other Premier League managers had cottoned onto this and knew how to counteract it. And Dyche hasn't quite found a plan B yet. So we ended the season in that sort of tricky spell of, I don't really know what to do next. And he actually started this season deploying exactly the same tactics. Teams have wised up to it very quickly and it's a very easy strategy to beat. So he hasn't yet found um, a different way of winning and a different way of performing when you are barely in this league. Now, the main reason that this has all gone terrible, as you've mentioned, is our defensive records just gone completely off the boil, which is really weird considering that the majority of our defence is the same defence as they were there last season. Apart from two key issues for me, we've had keeper problems. We've had a ridiculous scenario which where 12 months, albeit nearly an anniversary of each other, we lost um, Tom Heaton all of last season for a dislocated shoulder. And then in the first European game away at Aberdeen, Nick Pope had exactly the same injury and he's been out, so he's not played either. And we had to bring Joe Hart in as an emergency England keeper because clearly we only sign England goalkeepers and <laughs> we like to have the whole roster on our books at Burnley. And it's just not worked for him. And yeah. I don't think I don't think technically Hart's really done an awful lot wrong, but clearly there are some personnel issues and there's some dressing room issues because the back four in front of him just didn't want to play for him and you didn't see that togetherness as a defensive unit that we saw last year um tom heaton's now come back into the side nick pope's fit we fully expect your heart to be dropped down to third choice keeper and suddenly we're getting 
clean sheets yeah. and only conceding one goal and the defence starts to look like it did last season so um, I suspect the changing keeper will change that but if we were brutally honest here Deitch needs to start adopting some different tactics and maybe even trying a few shots on target that would be a, a revelation <laughs> You and me both after watching Fulham's Oldham mm. game at the weekend um, was it Ben Gibson Coming into the side, he has in, he's had injury problems. You bought him for quite yeah. a lot of money um, from Middlesbrough. Has he had a little bit of an impact as well? Yeah, a little bit. He's not really had an awful lot of chance to, to shine yet. And he, he found himself because of that hernia operation down at fourth choice um, centre-half, which is a little bit harsh. I'm a huge fan of Ben Gibson. I really like him. And I actually believe at some point he will displace Ben Me. I believe if we can keep him, um, Gibson and Tarkovsky might end up being our centre-half pair. Albeit we've then got a couple of left-footers. So we'll have to see how that works. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a bit tough for Gibson because he he came into the side this season in Sean Dyche's, um what's the word, experiment with, with three centre-halves and five at the back, in which we, I think, conceded five, then five, then four, then three, I think. So clearly that didn't work. Um, and then he's been dropped again. So it's a real tough one because the games that he's played where it's been um, four at the back, I, I've been really, really impressed um, I just I just don't know how he's going to fight his way and displace either Ben Mee or James Tarkovsky. It's, it's not going to happen. So you talk about this recipe that all the other Premier League clubs seem to have discovered as the kind of antidote to playing Burnley. And it's been around a year really since Premier League clubs cottoned on to the Burnley way and, and how to counter it. What is the way that clubs tackle Burnley and really kind of cut through as they have so many times this season what's the classic setup which you as a Burnley fan see and go oh great they figured us out and um, I think most importantly attack and attack with everything that you've got if you if you let a Sean Dyche Burnley side get their noses in front and go one nil ahead we are incredibly difficult to beat. Uh, we are stubborn, we are resilient, and, and normally we'll, we'll defend for our lives and you'll struggle to get back in the game. What we're not so great at is coming back from games. Now, I was really encouraged to see the Huddersfield away game last week where we want 1-0 behind in another massive game for us um, away at, at, um, at the John Smith Stadium, but we did manage to come back into that game, which is really, really good to see. But generally speaking, if sides get early goals against us this season, we're just crumbling and we don't, and because we play to those advantages and we play to the percentages, we really defend well and try and nick an opportunity to 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 get one goal ahead. If we're a couple of goals down, like Boxing Day, for example, 15 minutes gone and we were 3-0 down at home to Everton, there's absolutely no way we're getting back. We very rarely score more than two goals a game and most of the times we win by one goal. So if you can if you can get into that defence and score early, we're done. Well, that's interesting because in recent games, and I think the Huddersfield game was probably the biggest thing for us when we set up with five at the back against Huddersfield and we completely played into their hands by not really attacking them with the full gusto that we can. And, and we managed to nick a result in the 90th minute, but we've got so frustrated by that. So hopefully if uh, Claudio is watching, he might yeah. rethink his strategy <laughs> and maybe put a bit more attacking firepower uh, against Burnley's back line on Saturday. Going forward, who are the main threats? Um, I've always been a big fan of, of Ashley Barnes and I know he's oh. very popular with the, uh, with the Burnley faithful as well. 
Yeah, Ashley Barnes is just an absolute Burnley legend. And it, it's really nice to see Ashley Barnes's journey. He first came to us back in the 2014 season when we were chasing Leicester for promotion automatic and we ended up coming up behind them um, as runners-up. And he was brought in because at the time, Danny Ings and Sam Bokes both got injured. And bless his heart, he didn't even look at the time like he was strong enough to play in the Championship. Hmm. And what, four, five, four and a half years later, he's probably our most ruthless striker in the Premier League at this club at the moment. Um, he, he ended last season very, very strong and was a little bit unfortunate at the start of the season to not really start in the same, I guess, that's uh, the word I'm looking for, the same vigour that he did at the end of the last season. Um, Chris Wood is a striker I'm, I'm a huge fan of, but again, has had a really disappointing first half. Um, unluckily for you guys, um, the Ashley Barnes-Chris Wood partnership has just started to to come good and they are playing with real threat threat, and they're playing very well together. Um, so I'd say those two together with Dwight McNeil, our new young wing wizard, um, putting some balls in, into the box, um, they're the ones that you should expect to see some goals from. Well, I imagine they're licking their lips at the thought of uh, getting into this uh, Fulham defence. So the record at Turf Moor. I did a, an interview with the guys from Toffee TV about Fulham's record at Goodison Park, which is kind of equally as bad, but not quite as bad as our record at Turf Moor. Is this something Burnley fans are aware of? I know we haven't played each other tons. and It's not like being a, we, we go to Turf Moor every single sure. season for the last 60 years, but it is notably bad. Is this something something that really Burnley fans are aware of they're like oh here comes Fulham here's three points <laughs> well they weren't but I think they are now and I certainly wasn't that aware of this now there is obviously a caveat to this in that you, your guys records that bad you clearly do a win um, that's something <laughs> that always really worries me um, we have a feature on our podcast um, that um, we have a look at a head-to-head -head. we have a resident statistician who does the head-to-head -head stats for us with the teams and uh, when we, we don't do ours for video ours is just a podcast and we have um, he always does me knackers cheat sheet so that I can see behind the scenes what he's talking about and, and do some prompts and he adopts a traffic like system obviously uh, losses wins and draws and normally like I think the last one we did was Spurs and everything was just red 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 <laughs> and I opened my cheat sheet this week and everything was green I was just like this is amazing Jeez. so certainly that yeah the known and ever listeners were certainly are now aware of, of Burnley's uh, sorry Fulham's record at Turf Moor and long may that continue sorry. well I'm hoping for some change but uh, yeah it's definitely one that's a bit legendary amongst Fulham fans the uh, the record at Turf Moor one game that sticks in my mind up at Turf Moor was an FA Cup game about 10 years ago maybe a tiny bit more Captain and I think it was punishment. a re I think it was a replay under Chris Coleman and we fell apart and you were the championship side and we were the yeah. Premier League team and we and I was an interview on the Fulham website this week about how it was the most animated uh, that Sean Davis had ever seen John Tigner get. He said he's a man that never gets angry, but half time at Turf Moor during that FA Cup game absolutely lost the plot. My first trip up to Burnley on on Saturday. Uh, what would you recommend? There's a decent amount of way fans coming. Uh, the trains are a nightmare. The weather just are no trains yeah. to Burnley. Uh, but once we eventually get into the city, um, how would you recommend spending the day up until the match? Well, I'm very honoured that you call Burnley a city. That's It's not a city, so I don't want to mislead your, your <laughs> listeners in any way. It's a very small mill town in the hills of Lancashire, East Lancashire. Um, look, Burnley's a typical um, Lancashire town. It's a, it's an old mill town, and it's one of the founding members of the Football League. And, and I think what sometimes comes with that is a reputation of the, the 80s and 90s, um, you know, hard places to go and trouble and, you know, don't, don't walk around, don't park your car there, don't wear colours. And actually... 
you know, Turf Moor in 2019 now, sorry, couldn't be further from the truth. We're in good spirits. We're loving our football. It's a it's a family friendly club and it's a great community. And it's it's one of those uh, towns where the football club is right in the centre of the town and the, the town's empty at three o'clock on a Saturday um, or four o'clock on a Sunday or whenever we play anymore in the Premier League. <laughs> but the town empties because everybody's at Turf Moor. So, you know, wear your colours, drink with the locals. The, the bouncers and the, the police will tell you which of the with any club which the pubs to avoid and um, head down to the cricket club actually which is the, um, the cricket field stand where you guys are sitting the cricket club's right behind it um, okay. and that that place is a great place there might be some cricket on there might be uh, you know away fans and home fans in there and the atmosphere is really friendly there and everybody mingles um, treat yourselves to a Holland's meat and potato pie because they are the best and what Burnley's famous for a Benny and Hot and I'm not going to tell you any more of that but I want some of your listeners to maybe tweet us and let us know if A, they had a Benny and Hot and B, what they thought of it. A Benny and Hot? Benny and Hot. Okay. Yeah, Benedictine and Hot Water. I'm going to get a Benny and Hot and I'm going to tweet a photo to <laughs> at No Nay Never and uh, you know. can... You can all enjoy that later on Saturday when you see a ridiculously ridiculously southern person <laughs> trying to sound have the most northern sounding dish I've ever heard in my life. Oh, it's not a dish. Oh, this is getting better. I is can't it, wait. Just is it a drink? It's a drink. Yeah. Okay. It's a liqueur called Benedictine, which is only basically served in Burnley. I think we're Europe's leading stockets of Benedictine. Um, it's just a liqueur and you drink it with hot water and it will. We're expecting some snow and some real storms over the weekend at Turf Moor. So it's going to be pretty cold. So bring your thermals, have a Benny and hot and all will be well with the world. Have a drink of Benny and hot. I absolutely can't wait. <laughs> Nat, uh, thank you for giving the lowdown ahead of the game on Saturday. And uh, well, a bit of good luck for the rest of the season, but not too much. Yeah, let's, let us both survive. That would be the best thing. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon. And when I'm not winding up Reading fans, I'm listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Well, thank you to Nat Bromley for that interview. Obviously, very enlightening from a Fulham perspective. Let's get a little bit more joy now. On our radio show, which goes on on Love Sport Radio every Wednesday, Dom this week had a very special guest in the form of Paul Pesky Salido. Here's what he had to say. Paul, good evening. Good evening, how are you? Yeah, we're very, very well, but I'm afraid yeah. I'm going to have to start on a, a rather sad note. That is the result against Oldham. I mean, how disappointing is that as a football club and, and Fulham to get knocked out by Oldham of League Two? I'm trying to spin it in a positive way. I right, I, I, I look forward to this. Any, just a detraction from the league. Let's face it, we want to keep Fulham in the Premier League, and that's important. Maybe perhaps any distractions outside, that's not good. But no, I, it's hard to defend that. There's no way they should be losing to a team like Golden with the squad that they've got there. Mm. So no, yeah, it's very disappointing. But it just seems to be one of just one of those seasons, you know. It's uh, not going very well. Now, are you surprised, Paul, by the lack of kind of reaction or, or impact that Claudio's had since he's, he's come in? Well, I think originally the impact was good. The first couple of games they went undefeated. They won a couple. It just looks like it's gone back to how it all started. I generally think the squad. How do I say this without being... <laughs> it's so difficult. I just think if I was the manager, I think he kind of done a great job, got them promoted. I just think he tried to completely change the squad. I think I would have done similar to what Cardiff have done, what Bournemouth did. Try to stay with the players as much as you possibly can that got you promotion. And I just think he's just too much surgery. You can't 
go into the Premier League and change your squad as radically as they did. They had the right intention spending all that money, but it doesn't work. You need a team that's worked together, played together. They had such a wonderful season last year. They played so well. They were such an exciting side. You dismantle that, and I know you're trying to improve it with these top-quality players, but it always takes time for these players to gel, and it looks like a team of individuals, not a team that has gelled and that's going to be a problem because the position that we're in is not good do you think the team even has sort of any identity left because a lot of people talking last season was like it's the first time we've had sort of any identity squad since maybe 2010 or even back to see when you were playing in the promotion scenes yeah. when you eventually got promoted in 2001 how can a identity in a squad disappear so fast do you think there's a massive split in the dressing room that there wasn't there last season as it was all sort of one big collective unit last year yeah absolutely you see that with teams that get promoted when they do go and spend big money. And you've got lads who had a grueling season, 46 games, got promoted on a high. Those lads won't, you know, they're on good money in terms of, you know, normal wages. But in terms of Premier League money, if they're not beyond that, then all of a sudden they bring in four or five players for big sums. They go on massive earnings. And the players that got you there, there's always that split. You think, why didn't he just give us the opportunity? You know what I mean? As opposed to bringing in these so-called world-class players and loads of money, it causes a split. And what you could see last season, when I went to see, every time I went to see Fulham play, they played with a smile on the face. They played with real passion and as a group. And like you said, they had an identity. They knew what they were all doing. They all played in that same vein. You bring in five or six players, it completely changes the dynamics of the squad and the team. I think he should have just maybe one or two quality signings perhaps you know down the spine would have been fine but just too much too soon now paul um obviously it's silly season again we have january transfer market coming background yeah and it seems that there might be a few more uh, substantial changes uh, happening at craven cottage being a forward yourself that netted a 24 goals i believe during your time with the whites and obviously from your managerial perspective as well what striker if you've actually heard of any maybe been touted or bracketed within a, a maybe or potential uh incoming would you like to uh, see come into the club to compete with Alexander Mitrovic because as much as defending is going to be important we also need goals yeah but you're in line with about 15 other clubs you look at the players available that will come it's very very difficult because everybody's looking for that goal scorer surely he's a quality player he can play along the side of Mitrovic I just think that perhaps on the other side they need someone there's not really anyone I can really think of that would go straight in there and say, yeah, by all means, that'll do. This team, I don't think it needs individuals. I really don't. I think they've got some really good, talented players there. I just think they need time to settle and gel. Unfortunately, they don't have that time. Paul, I remember like growing up watching... Um videos like VHSs of your time at Fulham um, sorry for <laughs> making worry. me feel old there but uh, <laughs> so I was going to pick out two goals in your Fulham career one I remember in the FA Cup I think it was against Yeovil maybe it was like a literally like dinky little run I can't really remember that one but obviously the one the, the one you must get asked about a lot is the one at Anfield so is that the best goal in your career in terms of yeah it's my best goal I've ever scored <laughs> but, yeah you know I didn't score many from outside the box I was more of, you know, tap-ins and one-on-ones and, and what have you. But, yeah, that is by far my best goal and in front of the cop, too. It was just a fantastic occasion. Shame it didn't go on to become the winning goal or anything and didn't have as much importance. But, yeah, it, it was a very good goal. In fact, I think I scored an identical version of it the week, following week 
but obviously didn't get the highlights because it was against Carlisle, I think, at home or something <laughs> like that, or Chesterfield. Yeah, it makes and sense. It was, a, it was a carbon copy, yeah, but no one noticed that one. <laughs> but I just wanted to prove to people it wasn't a fluke. There was two like that. But no, that was a great day, but unfortunately wasn't the winner. Obviously, after Fulham, you played for Derby for a bit. And I remember at the Derby away league game last year, looking up and seeing you on the big screen, previewing the game. And I was yeah. thinking, where do your allegiances lie? Especially with the playoff semis. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, who are you supporting? To be honest, I, I was supporting both. It's so difficult. Uh, don't sit on the phone. <laughs> well, you know pick <laughs> someone, Paul. Pick someone. I, I couldn't do that. I've spent three years of my life at both clubs and had promotions at both clubs. They're both really special to me, so I couldn't just pick one. I really, really couldn't. I have really fond memories of both places. I took the train back home, and I was with about 40 of the loudest Fulham supporters <laughs> I've ever heard. And my, for the whole journey, they were singing songs, and they didn't have a clue who I was, which was great. So <laughs> the last song. And then they started singing. I was like, oh, no. But it was good fun, and they really enjoyed the win. Obviously, when you first joined the club, Ray Wilkins was in charge. What was he like to play under? Ray is, is, was the, the most charming man you'll ever come across in your entire life. I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, but he was just a real lovely man. He, he was football through and through, had what great knowledge of the game, and he was like one of the lads. He was desperate to play in training. In fairness, he was probably usually the first pick. He was still a fantastic footballer. <laughs> but what a great guy, you know, very articulate, passionate. I, I can't say enough uh, positive things about Ray. He was a wonderful feather fellow, and uh, we sadly missed, really. You helped um, Fulham claim the Division 2 title back in 1998. Harping back to your uh, your time at the Cottage, I mean, how was the atmosphere in and around the club at that period, knowing that fortunes could be changing for the Fulham Whites at that particular moment? It was amazing, you know. Obviously, I was a bit sceptical at first because I was at uh, West Brom. I think we were sitting second in the table in the Championship. And obviously, all this news about Mohamed Fayed buying Fulham and putting Kevin Keegan in charge and you know, they were going to be in the Premier League within four years. And I thought, wow, that's a fantastic thing. And then I was linked to them. Then I ended up having a meeting with Kevin Keegan. They agreed a fee and I, I'd gone. And I was, I was a bit worried because I didn't know many of the players. not played against many of the players because most of them were kind of League One and League Two players. But shortly following me, you had the likes of Cookie and Horace and Barry Hales. And it was just exciting times. You're living down in London we had special treatment from Mohamed Fayed. He was the most brilliant chairman you could possibly have. We all had our gold cards at Harrods, and every time we got there, it was free parking. And they looked after us like we were movie stars. And we had the pleasure of meeting Michael Jackson in the change room. <laughs> so it was the first time probably in that era that as a footballer, you felt like a rock star. It was really, really cool. And it was an amazing journey, an amazing journey. And it was, it was great seeing it all the way to the Premier League and it, it was wonderful. You mentioned not feeling like a rock star but like you came for a big fee and so did Cookie at the time like there was obviously pressure to actually get the job done and get promoted was there not? Absolutely yeah yeah absolutely but you're flattered you're flattered that such a big fee put on your head I always believed in my ability it always helps when you score on your debut which I fortunately did that really settles a striker so after that that was it you know I think the first training session, I, I might have given the ball away, and, and you get the usual how much from one of them. <laughs> but it's just a bit of banter. It was probably smudge, uh, Neil Smith, no doubt. It was brilliant. It really was exciting times, brilliant times, and a great group of lads. Again, yes, we had 
a very strong squad. But what we did have was that togetherness. And Kevin Keegan in first and Ray, they were superb at getting that togetherness. We used to go out in groups in London all the time. We would socialize together. It was a superb time. It really was. One last question for you, which is from someone else on the podcast called Drew Heatley. And he's asking, why haven't you gone back into management? I loved my time at, at Burton Albion. I really did. It was magnificent. I loved it. I loved the challenge of it. And then just towards the end, when it started going wrong, I found it really difficult to take. I'd always been very lucky in my football career that I was always a crowd favorite and always never really got abused apart from away sports, which didn't bother me. And then all of a sudden, you get into this management. You don't get any credit for winning because it's the players. And when you lose, it's all on your shoulders. And <laughs> I struggled. Getting sacked, was a, it was a real culture shock for me. And I really struggled to deal with it for the first year. And then after you kind of leave for a year, I just thought, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's for me at this stage of my life. Mm. So I just pursued other things. Never say never, but at present, it's not something I'm actively pursuing. Paul, we're going to have to leave it there. Absolutely fantastic stuff. But very, very quickly, just in a word, do Fulham stay up this season, yes or no? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's what we like. Right answer. Paul, absolute pleasure speaking to you this evening. That was your your former striker, Paul Pescalido. Well, thanks, Dom, for that. And obviously, if you want to hear our radio show, it goes out on Love Sport from 8.30 to 10 every Wednesday night. Search Love Sport in your internet browser and you will be able to locate it. Dom is on there every week with Guy Barlow and usually the big man himself, Aaron Paul, to talk all things black and white. But... Let's go back to Burnley now, Ben. Yep. And I think we you know, mostly have discussed how Fulham look going forward, but what would you set out the team like at Turf more this weekend? Obviously, we've got a terrible record there. You know, I can't, you know, I can't remember a Fulham win. In fact, mm. there hasn't been one in my lifetime, and, and, and it's been a long, <laughs> long time since Fulham got anything at Burnley. Yep. What, what do we do? How do we set out? The more you ask me this question, the more it becomes clear to me that there's only one way for us to set up under Ranieri where we're going to actually get anything out of the game, which is so depressing. It's unreal. But I think we will, again, line up five at the back with wing-backs. And I think we'll try and look to pounce on Burnley on the counter-attack because, obviously, this is a home game for them. They're a seasoned Premier League outfit and they will want to take the front foot early, which is very unlike a Dyche team. But I think that that's probably what they will do. Excuse me. We will need to keep the shackles on wood, on Vokes and on Barnes, uh, of the combination of whichever two of those plays. Um, we will need to be physical with them, which is why I'm slightly gutted that I believe Alfie Mawson's going to be out because he is the guy that adds that physicality to the back line and that sort of ruggedness that we need to keep a striker like Barnes and like Vokes under wraps. Um, that being said, um, Dennis did have a good game against them. I'm slightly an advocate of him starting in that role again, despite my criticism of him recently. I feel like if we're going to play anyone, we need to be playing Cess because he has the raw pace to get in behind Burnley. And a guy that's really caught my eye for Burnley, but I hadn't ever heard of him before this season, is a guy called Dwight McNeil. Yeah, he's a youngster, who, just come through the academy. Yeah, who's got like the most dodgeball-sounding name I've ever heard in my life. But he is quite a good and exciting player. Um, obviously, he provided a couple of assists for them in the last couple of games and scored his very first Burnley goal. And he looks like someone that's quite tricky, quite intelligent, um, and someone that could cause us problems potentially. But he's lacking slightly on the physicality side. So I'm hoping that Cess or Joe, um, Christie or Joe Bryan can keep him a little bit quiet. 
Yeah, he's um, he's had a good season since he's come into the side. Obviously, he only made his debut, scored a goal on his debut, yeah. and, and then has sort of kicked on from there. So, uh, you know, Burnley have turned for the better recently, which is yeah. a sad state of affairs, frankly, when <laughs> we're, we're concerned about every it. team that we play. <laughs> Everyone seems to have uh, turned for the better when we play them. I think that maybe it is you know have to go for that raw pace of a front three of Cesc, Camera, and Mitrovic to, yeah. to kind of try and exploit it. Uh, and look to get maybe Seri and Chambers back in the midfield. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of the team, I suppose, kind of picks itself with Alfie Mawson still out injured. You have to play Le Marchand, Rina, Dodoy and, and Sergio Rico between the sticks. So it, it is very much a... It picks itself, doesn't it? But I imagine that leaving Tom Kenny out of the side is going to frustrate people. And actually, like we said, against Huddersfield in the second half, from that centre midfield role, he actually did play very well. And while... Whilst I would play Seri there because I think he adds a bit more dynamism to the side, especially tackle-wise, I think that it wouldn't be the worst call in the world to go with Chambers and Kearney as the midfield two here and then sort of kick on from there and see if if Kearney can basically pull his socks up, pull the strings again and, and really start to dominate in the middle. And if he can do so, we have every chance, especially with a front three that quick. I think Kearney has that and always has had that close control, that intelligence and that turn of foot to get away from a player. The only thing that concerns me is if they start someone like Hendrick in the middle there, that he'll be all over him, and I'm not sure TC would be able to cope. Also, one player that I forgot to mention for Burnley, who we both love, is Goodmanson. Yes. And he is so key and so integral to everything that they do. If you want a fantasy football sleeper kind of guy for your team that's going to rack up points throughout the year, he is the man. Because he chips in with goals at that back post every other game. And he's pretty good for an assist as well, isn't he? He loves goals. Just he really absolutely does. loves goals. He is the original Gary Goals. Gary Goals. Just scores goals. Yeah, two years since Gary Goals uh, <laughs> first came out. And uh, still going strong. Still going strong. Well, that's probably about all we've got time for on this week's Fulhamish. Because there's only two of us, I'm going to selfishly name this podcast, Ben. But you know, as, as a member of this podcast who also loves Guy Ritchie films I know that you will appreciate the fact that we're going to call this one Claret is Imminent <laughs> I'm a big fan of that well all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Ben Jarman thank you very much for having me it was nice to chat to you mate it is always good to go one on one Ben <laughs> I've been Jack Collins this has been the Fulhamish podcast we hope that this weekend is going to bring salvation in the form of three points at Turf Moor thank you ever so much for listening you whites take care